Chapter Two of Eight Hundred Leagues on the Amazon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Eight Hundred Leagues on the Amazon by Jules Verne. Chapter Two, Robber and Robbed. Torres slept for about half an hour, and then there was a noise among the trees. A sound of light footsteps, as though some visitor was walking with naked feet, and taking all the precaution he could, lest he should be heard. To have put himself on guard against any suspicious approach would have been the first care of our adventurer, had his eyes been open at the time. But he had not then awoke, and what advanced was able to arrive in his presence, at ten paces from the tree, without being perceived. It was not a man at all. It was a gariba. Of all the prehensile-tailed monkeys which haunt the forest of the upper Amazon, graceful sahis, horned sapajoes, grey-coated monos, sanguins, which seem to wear a mask on their grimacing faces, the gariba is without a doubt the most eccentric, of sociable disposition and not very savage, differing therein very greatly from the makura, who is as ferocious as he is foul. He delights in company and generally travels in troops. It was he whose presence had been signalled from afar by the monotonous concert of voices, so like the psalm singing of some church choir. But if nature has not made him vicious, it is none the less necessary to attack him with caution, and under any circumstances a sleeping traveller ought not to leave himself exposed, lest a gariba should surprise him when he is not in a position to defend himself. This monkey, which is also known in Brazil as the Barbado, was of large size. The suppleness and stoutness of his limbs proclaimed him a powerful creature, as fit to fight on the ground as to leap from branch to branch at the tops of the giants of the forest. He advanced then cautiously, and with short steps. He glanced to the right and to the left, and rapidly swung his tail. To these representatives of the monkey tribe, nature has not been content to give four hands. She has shown herself more generous, and added a fifth, for the extremity of their cudgel appendage possesses a perfect power of prehension. The garuba noiselessly approached, brandishing a sturdy cudgel, which, yielded by his muscular arm, would have proved a formidable weapon. For some minutes he had seen the man at the foot of the tree. But the sleeper did not move, and this doubtless induced him to come and look at him a little nearer. He came forward then, not without hesitation, and stopped at last about three paces off. On his bearded face was pictured a grin, which showed his sharp-edged teeth, white as ivory, and the cudgel began to move about in a way that was not very reassuring for the captain of the woods. Unmistakably, the sight of Torres did not inspire the Garuba with friendly thoughts. Had he then particular reasons for wishing evil to this defenceless specimen of the human race, which chance had delivered over to him? Perhaps we know how certain animals retain the memory of the bad treatment they have received, and it is possible that against backwoodsmen in general he bore some special grudge. In fact, Indians especially make more fuss about the monkey than any other kind of game, and, no matter to what species it belongs, follow its chase with the ardour of nimrods, not only for the pleasure of hunting it, 
but for the pleasure of eating it. Whatever it was, the garuba did not seem disinclined to change characters this time, and if he did not quite forget that nature had made him but a simple herbivore, and longed to devour the captain of the woods, he seemed at least to have made up his mind to get rid of one of his natural enemies. After looking at him, for some minutes, the gariba began to move round the tree. He stepped slowly, holding his breath, and getting nearer and nearer. His attitude was threatening, his countenance ferocious. Nothing could have seemed easier to him than to have crushed this motionless man at a single blow. And assuredly, at that moment, the life of Therese hung by a thread. In truth, the gariba stopped a second time, close up to the tree, placed himself at the side so as to command the head of the sleeper, and lifted his stick to give the blow. But if Torres had been imprudent in putting near him, in the crevice of the root, the little case which contained his document and his fortune, it was this imprudence which saved his life. A sunbeam, shooting between the branches, just glinted on the case, the polished metal of which lighted up like a looking-glass. The monkey, with the frivolity peculiar to his species, instantly had his attention distracted. His ideas, if such an animal could have ideas, took another direction. He stopped, caught hold of the case, jumped back a pace or two, and, raising it to the level of his eyes, looked at it, not without surprise, as he moved it about and used it like a mirror. He was, if anything, still more astonished when he heard the rattle of the gold pieces it contained. The music enchanted him. It was like a rattle in the hands of a child. He carried it to his mouth, and his teeth grated against the metal, but made no impression on it. Doubtless the gariba thought he had found some fruit of a new kind, a sort of huge, almost brilliant all over, and with a kernel playing freely in its shell. But if he soon discovered his mistake, he did not consider it a reason for throwing the case away. On the contrary, he grasped it more tightly in his left hand, and dropped the cudgel, which broke off a dry twig in its fall. At this noise Therese woke, and with the quickness of those who are always on the watch, with whom there is no transition from the sleeping to the waking state, was immediately on his legs. In an instant Therese had recognized with whom he had to deal. Agariba, he cried and his hand, seizing his manchetta, he put himself into a posture of defence. The monkey, alarmed, jumped back at once, and not so brave before a waking man as a sleeping one, performed a rapid caper, and glided under the trees. "'It was time,' said Torres. "'The rogue would have settled me without any ceremony.' Of a sudden, between the hands of the monkey, who had stopped at about twenty paces, and was watching him with violent grimaces, as if he would like to snap his fingers at him. He caught sight of his precious case. "'The beggar,' he said. "'If he has not killed me, he has done what is almost as bad. He has robbed me.' The thought that the case held his money was not, however, what then concerned him. But that which made him jump was the recollection that it contained the precious document, the loss of which was irreparable as it carried with it all of his hopes. "'Botheration!' said he. And at that moment, cost what it might to recapture his case, Therese threw himself in pursuit of the gariba. 
He knew that to reach such an active animal was not easy. On the ground he could get away too fast. In the branches he could get away too far. A well-aimed gunshot could alone stop him as he ran or climbed, but Therese possessed no firearm. His sword-knife and hoe were useless unless he could get near enough to hit him. It soon became evident that the monkey could not be reached unless by surprise. Hence Torres found it necessary to employ cunning in dealing with the mischievous animal. To stop to hide himself behind some tree-trunk, to disappear under a bush, might induce the gariba to pull up and retrace his steps, and there was nothing else for Torres to try. This was what he did, and the pursuit commenced under these conditions. But when the captain of the woods disappeared, the monkey patiently waited until he came into sight again, and at this game Therese fatigued himself without result. "'Confound the gariba!' he shouted at length. "'There'll be no end to this, and he will lead me back to the Brazilian frontier. If only he would let go of my case. But no, the jingling of the money amuses him. Oh, you thief! If I could only get hold of you!' and Therese recommenced the pursuit, and the monkey scuttled off with renewed vigour. An hour passed in this way without any result. Therese showed a persistency which was quite natural. How without this document could he get his money? And then anger seized him. He swore, he stamped, he threatened the gariba. That annoying animal only responded by a chuckling which was enough to put him beside himself. And then Therese gave himself up to the chase. He ran at top speed, entangling himself in the high undergrowth, among those thick brambles and interlacing creepers, across which the gariba passed like a steeplechaser. Big roots, hidden beneath the grass, lay often in the way. He stumbled over them, and again started in pursuit. At length, to his astonishment, he found himself shouting, "'Come here! Come here, you robber!' as if he could make him understand him. His strength gave out, breath failed him, and he was obliged to stop. Confound it, said he. When I am after runaway slaves across the jungle, they never give me such trouble as this. But I will have you, you wretched monkey. I will go, yes, I will go as far as my legs will carry me, and we shall see. The gariba had remained motionless when he saw that the adventurer had ceased to pursue him. He rested also, for he had nearly reached that degree of exhaustion which had forbidden all movements on the part of Therese. He remained like this during ten minutes, nibbling away at two or three roots, which he picked off the ground, and from time to time he rattled the case at his ear. Therese, driven to distraction, picked up the stones within his reach and threw them at him, but did no harm at such a distance but he hesitated to make a fresh start. On one hand, to keep on in chase of the monkey, with so little chance of reaching him, was madness. On the other, to accept as definite this accidental interruption to all his plans, to be not only conquered, but cheated and hoaxed by a dumb animal, was maddening. And in the meantime, Therese began to think that when the night came the robber would disappear without trouble, and he, the robbed one, would find difficulty in retracing his way through the dense forest. In fact, the pursuit had taken him many miles from the bank of the river, and he would even now find it difficult to return to it. Therese hastened. He tried to resume his thoughts with coolness, 
and finally, after giving vent to a last imprecation, he was about to abandon all idea of regaining possession of his case, when once more in spite of himself there flashed across him the thought of his document, the remembrance of all that scaffolding on which his future hopes depended, on which he had counted so much, and he resolved to make another effort. Then he got up. The gariba got up too. He made several steps in advance. The monkey made as many in the rear, but this time, instead of plunging more deeply into the forest, he stopped at the foot of an enormous ficus, the tree of which the different kinds are so numerous all over the upper Amazon basin. To seize the trunk with his four hands, to climb with the agility of a clown who is acting the monkey, to hook on with his prehensile tail to the first branches, which stretched away horizontally at forty feet from the ground, and to hoist himself to the top of the tree, to the point where the higher branches just bent beneath its weight, was only sport to the active gariba, and the work of but a few seconds. Up there, installed at his ease, he resumed his interrupted repast, and gathered the fruits which were within his reach. Torres, like him, was much in want of something to eat and drink, but it was impossible. His pouch was flat. His flask was empty. However, instead of retracing his steps, he directed them toward the tree, although the position taken up by the monkey was still more unfavorable for him. He could not dream for one instant of climbing the ficus, which the thief would have quickly abandoned for another. And all the time the miserable case rattled at his ear. Then, in his fury, in his folly, Torres apostrophized the gariba. It would be impossible for us to tell the series of invectives in which he indulged. Not only did he call him a half-breed, which is the greatest of insults in the mouth of a Brazilian of white descent, but curiboca, that is to say, half-breed negro and Indian, and of all the insults that one man can hurl at another in this equatorial latitude, curiboca is the cruelest. But the monkey, who was only a humble quadruman, was simply amused at what would have revolted a representative of humanity. Then Torres began to throw stones at him again, and bits of roots and everything he could get hold of that would do for a missile. Had he the hope to seriously hurt the monkey? No, he no longer knew what he was about. To tell the truth, anger at his powerlessness had deprived him of his wits. Perhaps he hoped that in one of the movements which the gariba would make in passing from branch to branch, the case might escape him. Perhaps he thought that if he continued to worry the monkey, he might throw it at his head. But no, the monkey did not part with the case, and holding it with one hand, he still had three left with which to move. Torres, in despair, was just about to abandon the chase for good, and to return toward the Amazon, when he heard the sound of voices. Yes, the sound of human voices. Those were speaking at about twenty paces to the right of him. The first care of Torres was to hide himself in a dense thicket. Like a prudent man, he did not wish to show himself without at least knowing with whom he might have to deal. Panting, Puzzled, his ears on the stretch, he waited, when suddenly the sharp report of a gun rang through the woods. A cry followed, and the monkey, mortally wounded, 
fell heavily on the ground, still holding Torres's case. "'By Jove!' he muttered. "'That bullet came at the right time.' And then, without fearing to be seen, he came out of the thicket, and two young gentlemen appeared from under the trees. They were Brazilians, clothed as hunters, with leather boots, light palm-leaf hats, waistcoats, or rather tunics, buckled in at the waist, and more convenient than the national poncho. By their features and their complexion, they are at once recognizable as of Portuguese descent. Each of them was armed with one of those long guns of Spanish make, which slightly remind us of the arms of the Arabs, guns of long range and considerable precision, which the dwellers in the forest of the upper Amazon handle with success. What had just happened was a proof of this. At an angular distance of more than eighty paces, the quadruman had been shot full in the head. The two young men carried, in addition, in their belts, a sort of dagger-knife which is known in Brazil as a foca, and which hunters do not hesitate to use when attacking the ounce and other wild animals which, if not very formidable, are pretty numerous in these forests. Torres had obviously little to fear from this meeting, and so he went on running toward the monkey's corpse. But the young men, who were taking the same direction, had less ground to cover, and coming forward a few paces, found themselves face to face with Torres. The latter had recovered his presence of mind. "'Many thanks, gentlemen,' he said gaily, as he raised the brim of his hat. "'In killing this wretched animal, you have just done me a great service.' The hunters looked at him inquiringly, not knowing what value to attach to his thanks. Therese explained the matters in a few words. "'You thought you had killed a monkey,' said he. "'But as it happens, you have killed a thief.' "'If we have been of use to you,' said the youngest of the two, "'it was by accident, but we are none the less pleased to find that we have done some good.' And taking several steps to the rear, he bent over the gariba, and not without an effort withdrew the case from his stiffened hand. "'Doubtless that, sir, is what belongs to you.' "'The very thing,' said Therese briskly, catching hold of the case and failing to repress a huge sigh of relief." "'Whom ought I to thank, gentlemen?' said he, "'for the service you have rendered me.' "'My friend, Manuel, assistant surgeon, Brazilian army,' replied the young man. "'If it was I who shot the monkey, Benito,' said Manuel, "'it was you that pointed him out to me.' "'In that case, sirs,' replied Therese, "'I am under an obligation to you both, "'as well as to you, Mr. Manuel, and to you, Mr.' "'Benito Garel,' replied Manuel." The captain of the woods required great command over himself to avoid giving a jump when he heard this name, and more especially when the young man obligingly continued, My father, Joam Garel, has his farm about three miles from here. If you would like, Mr. Torres, replied the adventurer, if you would like to accompany us there, Mr. Torres, you will be hospitably received. I do not know that I can, said Torres who, surprised by this unexpected meeting, hesitated to make a start. I fear in truth that I am not able to accept your offer. The occurrence I have just related to you has caused me to lose time. It is necessary for me to return at once to the Amazon, as I propose descending thence to Para. Very well, Mr. Therese, replied Benito. 
It is not unlikely that we shall see you again in our travels, for before a month has passed, my father and all his family will have taken the same road as you. Ah, said Therese sharply, your father is thinking of recrossing the Brazilian frontier? Yes, for a voyage of some months, replied Benito. At least we hope to make him decide so. Don't we, Manuel? Manuel nodded affirmatively. Well, gentlemen, replied Therese, it is very probable that we shall meet again on the road, but I cannot, much to my regret, accept your offer now. I thank you, nevertheless, and I consider myself as twice your debtor. And having said so, Therese saluted the young men, who in turn saluted him, and set on their way to their farm. As for Therese, he looked after them as they got further and further away, and when he had lost sight of them, Ah, he is about to recross the frontier, said he, with a deep voice. Let him recross it, and he will be still more at my mercy. Pleasant journey to you, Joram Garel. And having uttered these words, the captain of the woods, making for the south so as to regain the left bank of the river by the shortest road, disappeared into the dense forest. End of chapter 2